we all know that Barclays wasn't built for hockey, so being able to go and experience that. I heard everyone talk about it, our partners had talked about it, and it was just incredible to be there and that atmosphere, you know, I, I love live sporting events, that's why I work in this industry. That atmosphere is always electric, but this was next level. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. If you're listening to us in order, this is the first one of 2021. And boy, are we glad to have 2020 in our rearview mirror. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Uh, Joe, great to see you. And I, and I know we're, we're recording this in the middle of January, but I got to say an official Happy New Year. Happy 2021. And you said it well. Uh, we're happy to be looking at 2020 in the rearview mirror. Um, so, gosh, this is going to be a momentous year. I know we did our predictions in the last podcast with the other faculty members and I think many of us were in agreement that 2021 would be a really super interesting year in the business. So there's going to be plenty to talk about. And that actually was reflected this week as we jumped right back into the virtual conference circuit show. Yes. I, I, saw, I saw you on a couple of them. Mm -hmm. uh, we had our NYBC sports event at CES. Yep. Did you get a chance to watch that? Oh, yeah. All yeah. Uh... Two and a half hours. It was uh, really entertaining. WWE, we did some stuff with our friend Q Williams and then ended it obviously with the predictions of the year with Rich Greenfield and John Kosner, which were always very insightful. Yeah, that was that was great. And, and that's the interview with the WWE guy, Drew McIntyre, actually was pretty interesting, yeah. I thought, too. That was a, something I wasn't expecting. But yeah, whenever Rich Greenfield talks, I will listen because I, I find him to be uh, very entertaining as a media analyst. And he's usually spot on with many of his predictions. So that was a good start. And then did you get a chance to check out the Sports Innovation Lab Sports Zone thing? I did. I watched for quite a while. And it was interesting to see their 20 most engaged teams or 25 most engaged teams of 2020 and the way they presented it. And the fact that eight out of the top 10 were European football clubs. And um, the other sport that was fairly well represented was the NBA. Um, interesting the way they did it. Um, it was all about the pivot during the year, fan engagement, not having fans in the building, sponsor activation, really interesting. Um, you know, we should probably have those guys on at some time. Uh, yeah. Talk yeah. About so. No, I really, the work they do at uh, Sports Innovation Lab, I think is terrific. I'm a really, a really big fan. And whenever they issue a report, that's uh, a must read for me. Mm -hmm. It's a must study for me because I use a lot of it in my class and yep. in my job. Um, so it's always um, nice to see them do events. Um, was hockey mentioned? Any hockey teams on that list, John? Uh, I, you know, I was going to say that there were no NHL teams in the top 25. Okay. But with that in mind, why don't we talk a little bit about hockey? Right. And we may have someone that can influence yeah. that for the next time they do that report. Yeah. So I'm um, going to do a prediction. We talk about sure. predictions. Mm -hmm. I would say if you looked at our class probably about four years ago and you predicted that there would be a person coming from Australia with a legal background who would end up working for a hockey team in a corporate marketing position on Long Island, it probably wouldn't have come up. That would be my prediction. Yes, that's a good prediction, but well, we have uh, that today, don't we? we? We have that, although it's not exactly quote corporate marketing. Okay, it, it's an even hotter part of the sports business called partnership activation. Partnership activation. That's okay. the hot new phrase in the business, Joe. Come on, you got to get with it. Um, so we're beyond thrilled to have an alumna 
of the program join us, uh, uh, a young woman who was a terrific student, a member of the Columbia sports management community when she was here and remains involved as, as an alumna and really happy to see how her career has progressed as she now is representing none other than the New York Islanders as the director of partnership activation. And that is of course, Nicole Hogan. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. That was quite the intro. Um, especially well, you, the hottest, the hottest part of the business. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I think one, one thing we've learned in the last nine months is that, um, especially with some of the challenges with attendance, which we'll get into, and some of the other pressure points have been applied because uh, of COVID, that partnership activation has become a highly scrutinized part of the business because there's so much money wrapped up in sponsorship and partnerships, it's gotta in certain ways be reimagined. So whether that's stickers on hockey helmets, I should say uh, logos on hockey helmets, um, or the decision to, and I, I want, we wanna get into this with you, I thought one of the most interesting decisions, Joe, of the last few weeks of 2021 so far was a decision by the National Hockey League to actually bring sponsor branding into the conference names. Yes. I saw that story. Yep. All right. And so, also, um, yeah. and let's not forget, um, Nicole and the Islanders are involved in the opening of a new building in New York, which will also be a- Oh my God. For, They're for, just really at the center, center of the business uh, in so many ways right now. So Nicole, why don't we start with a little overview of what you're doing now and sprinkle in a little bit of your journey along the way. You don't have to do it necessarily linearly, but you know, be good to hear some perspectives. So, yeah. so one note before she gets started, I remember the first time I asked Nicole to do the podcast when she was a student. And she said, what could I possibly talk about? Well, look at where we are now. So yeah. start talking, Nicole. Appreciate that, Joe. Um, yes, so, so working um, in the activation team with the Islanders. Um, it's funny, obviously, I, I never sort of expected to work in hockey. And I think I confuse every corporate partner when we do a kickoff and they say, hang on, an Aussie working in hockey, this makes zero sense, backtrack. Um, how did this come about? So obviously being an alumni of the program, I, the program holds a very special place in my heart as it's the reason I had the opportunity to meet the Islanders and get my job. Um, is when I started the program, obviously I came in as a lawyer looking for a career change and everyone seemed set on what they wanted to do and you know where they were heading by doing the program. And it was actually Joe who sat me down and was like, just speak to people, you'll figure it out. Like you don't have to know today, figure it out. And I really appreciated that advice as it kickstarted me networking, meeting with people and everything came back to partnerships and everyone was saying partnerships, business development seems that that's where you could bring the most value. So um, in my spring semester, my second semester, I ended up in Michael Newman's sponsorship and sales course. And um, the, the final project was to select a brand and pitch the naming rights opportunity for at that time, Belmont Park, now UBS Arena. And uh, the guest judge happened to be uh, John Ledecky, one of our owners, and uh, offered, me, offered me a job from, from that presentation. So a little bit of uh, right place, right time, which is fantastic. Um, brought me on board. Uh, we didn't actually know what the job was going to be initially, which is crazy. It was just, they were in rebuild phase and offered me the opportunity to sort of get on board and 
building a brand new arena in New York. That was something I couldn't turn down. Um, but then we started talking about partnerships and getting me involved there. And it's just an area I've always been really interested in since speaking to people and sort of understanding what that part of the business does. So uh, ended up in activation. And um, I think as Joe alluded to, you know, a lot of our prep comes from, uh, sorry, is uh, towards UBS Arena right now. Um, obviously, there's there's much to unpack here with obviously um, the new assets this season and how we're generating revenue, but a little bit of this and then obviously a lot of uh, prepping for that brand new arena. Yeah, Nicole, where, actually, where do things stand with that timing-wise? So we're, we're still on track. We were actually um, ahead of ahead of our timeline which was fantastic due to having such a mild winter last winter so when we shut down I think um you know we never want to shut down we always always want to be ahead um but it didn't really eat into timing um eat into timing that much at all which is uh really really lucky we're very grateful for that so on track for uh the the following seasons the 21-22 season so um yeah we'll, we'll be ready to go then you know, I, I was just reminded that, or I just thought of the fact that John Ledecky attended, Joe, that last in-person Columbia Sports Business Conference we had, right. yeah. which seems like about five years ago, but I, I guess that was the, when was that? The fall of 19, I guess. It was. Wow. Yep. Okay, so Nicole, you were there. I, I, I kind of remember seeing you there, right? Yep, I was there. I, I, I had never seen him. I was aware of him. Uh, I had never seen him speak, and I was pretty transfixed by that guy. Yeah, he, he really is. He really is good. Um, and I didn't know that he had been in business with someone who was influential in my business, like Ted Leonsis. Uh, you know, who came into the league when I was at the NHL, and then I ended up working a couple levels under him at AOL when I went over there. Um, but very similar philosophy. Can you talk a little bit about him and kind of what? You know, the way he approaches things, I know he's a big, like Ted, he's a big thinker. And he, he really is a step ahead of a lot of the other leaders I've met in sports. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, we're very, very lucky to have an ownership group that we have, um, an ownership group that really, really cares. I know John always says, uh, always compares himself to Sparky in a suit, <laughs> which we love. Um, so he's just, he's so engaged with our fan base. He's a very obviously outward facing um, owner and he's always at games interacting with fans as much as possible and um, very much with the, the front office community as well. Um, and so I think that's just, it's just been such a great um, leadership structure between him and Scott. Um, they've really taken the time to sort of inspire us, motivate us, um, really keep us uh, in the loop with everything going on with the new arena um, and how we sort of want to take our fan base, you know, foster our current fan base and expand it. Um, obviously, we're, we're Long Island's team, but really how we can develop and grow that love. So we're not, no longer seen as just, you know, New York's other team and uh, second at all to the Rangers. So um, I think both of their philosophies is fantastic. Again, we, we have a lot of interaction with John. So um, he's, he's just such a a great, a great leader and um, really takes the time to connect with all of us, which, which we're really grateful for. Right, and um, Scott being Scott Malkin, who's on the, the, the co-owner, and then obviously, although we won't get into hockey operations, an amazing leader in Lula Amarello on the hockey side. Um, but Nicole, take us through like, first of all, what your job is supposed to be and what it actually ended up being the last year during the pandemic. 
Yeah. So um, obviously, partnership activation that was that was a tough one to uh, a tough one to execute on last year. Um, taking a little bit of a step back before before the pandemic. So my my role, we very much when I came in, we were sort of transitioning the business back from uh, Brooklyn over to it being a standalone entity that that operations piece. And so we were very much a tenant in two buildings. And so we were very reliant on signage. Um, it was very traditional partnerships in that sense. Um, and as we sort of have grown and obviously moving towards the new arena, that's expanding. But we, we very much relied on digital assets and a digital presence even before the pandemic. So I think our digital team were fantastic pivoting working with us and trying to figure out ways that we could engage fans, you know, integrate our partners authentically and not just logo slap, we all love that word, um, throughout that whole, the, the whole bubble, the lead up to the bubble when we were sort of in that limbo. Um, so really working with them to figure out, you know, what can we do? So we worked with a big partner of ours, Northwell Health. We did a, a you know, five-part series with one of our um, alumni, Aaron Asham, and we did a bit of a workout, fitness, nutrition at home series for targeted at youth hockey players, which was fantastic and, you know, really helped, you know, Northwell engage, uh, engage with our really uh, targeted fan base being the, that youth hockey um, section. So it's, you know, it's really been about pivoting, seeing, seeing what we can do and, you know, I think we we're pretty successful and a lot of collaboration and teamwork, but I think we were set up even pre-pandemic to do that, which, which, which was fantastic. So we, we know there's been a lot of pressure on the media side of the business because of what happened and what is happening. And one of the interesting decisions in the sports business over the last couple of months was the NHL's announcement to do logos on the helmets. I'm just curious, having been on the league side myself, uh, not the team side, were you guys brought into that decision-making process? I assume everybody was aware that that was coming and that would provide a new outlet for you guys with your sponsors. Yeah, so there was there was obviously a lot of discussions, a lot of predictions, a lot of rumors internally um, about how we were going to make a season work without fans. Obviously, um, from a pure perspective of sports, you know, you don't want to see too much of the advertising. We understand that, but obviously you've got to generate revenue. So what are going to be the opportunities? We all knew that the tarps were going to definitely be a consideration with obviously that being a big piece of the bubble and having all of that coverage. But in, in terms of the helmet, I think, you know, there's been talks about jersey patches and I, I've grown up in an environment where, you know, branding was very normal to see on a jersey. So for me, it seemed like a bit of a, bit of a miss not to have something. So I think um, as soon as we got that, that was just really exciting news, huge piece of inventory. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it's here to stay. Um, but, you know, we've got uh, our naming rights partner, UBS, Northwell, a big founding partner on our home and away helmets. And they were really, really pleased with that opportunity. It helps our business. It helps keep the game going. So um, from a perspective of whether we knew about it or not, um, I think we knew that one was on the table, but uh, it obviously very recent um, we've been working around the clock to make make that happen. Uh, so a lot of lessons learned during the bubble. This is obviously very different because everyone's back in buildings. There's a Canadian group. There's the North, the the United States group. Obviously, um, what were some of the lessons learned, Nicole? And what are some of the things that people should be looking for in terms of partnership engagement, not just in the arena, but across the tri-state area that the Islanders are going to try and do uh, going forward that you're working on. 
Um, so a lot of a lot of things we're working on is very much community based. I, obviously, building a new arena, um, we have to put a lot of focus and emphasis into our community and see, making sure we can engage <clears throat> from a digital perspective because obviously we can't do things in person. So whether it's drive-through um, giveaways, um, you know, having having socially distanced events in the summer, um, it's you know anything we can do to really. Um, work with our community. And that's really been a number one priority for us. Again, as we sort of, we're building that goodwill in the community, we're moving towards this, you know, beautiful new arena. So that's top of mind for us. And it's just how we're sort of executing it, whether we're integrating our partners. So obviously that's where I come in a little bit more and especially working with um, a partner like Northwell, who has a huge, huge footprint in on Long Island um, uh, and how we can work with them to integrate and, um, develop programs across across the community during this time. So one thing you touched on, uh, which would be interesting to get your perspective, you didn't have a hockey background when you started. What has that been like? What Were there lessons that you learned even, you know, from growing up in Australia and being around sport, um, both as an undergrad and then when you got your legal degree and then coming here? <clears throat> What, are, are there things that you learned from a business perspective that, that have translated well to hockey and what's been the biggest challenge uh, or the biggest learning curve in the time you've been with the Islanders? Um, I think the biggest learning curve was definitely just learning um, the nuances, the ins and outs. I think you, you, in order to create you know, great partnerships, you have to really understand the hockey community and, and that world. So I think that was going to be, the, always going to be the biggest learning curve for me. Um, I've always grown up playing sports. I love sports. Um, it's funny, both my brothers work in sports. We're not the most unique family. Um, so I've always sort of been around it, especially as an, as an athlete and, and really immersing myself growing up. Um, I think having a legal background has really helped. Um, I think my attention to detail, the discipline you, you bring from that um, is fantastic. And it's definitely made a difference, I find, uh, in my interactions, even just understanding um, how to negotiate a contract and how to draft it and how to look out for uh, look out for things that you know people with maybe a more commercial background wouldn't be able to do. So um, I think uh, I've had a really really supportive um, really supportive set of colleagues who've really helped with the onboarding and helped me understand. I've, I've worked really closely with the league. They were fantastic. As soon as I came in, they were introducing me to partnership activation teams across the league and very much encouraging me to network and best practice swap with them as I sort of um, started my journey with the Islanders. So um, definitely the nuances, um, but some great support has been has been helpful. But again, I think having having a different perspective and having a legal background has definitely helped me um, in this role. So um, really appreciated that. Nicole, I'm embarrassed I don't know the answer to this question, but what is, what is the fan attendance policy right now with the new season that just started? Oh, no fans. That's easy. So is that by state or the entire league? Um, it, it's by state. Um, yeah. but yes, okay. we've got no fans in our building. And so you know what just yeah. occurred to me, guys, is um, I know in the world of sports, we all know this, is that corporate hospitality is, is one of the lubricants that makes this this business work, um, and it, I just was reminded of the fact that all those opportunities to entertain clients in the suites for live games is gone. Uh, we we always talk about fans, but but also there's the whole notion of old fashioned entertainment, 
that is completely lost. Are you trying to in any way do virtual entertainment, you know, T&E events kind of things with, with your customers? Yes, definitely. That's, that's something we launched into pretty quickly as soon as, as soon as the pandemic hit and we were all sort of floundering until we knew what was happening with the season. Um, so we, we sent a lot of our corporate partners quarantine kits with, with puzzles and different activities and, and food and snacks. And then we kicked off our virtual events. And again, so lucky that we're building a new arena. So we had something to talk about, something to engage with whether it was prospective season ticket members, whether it was partners, we had that touch point to talk about, to keep conversations going. You know, you had to be sensitive with budgets and what was happening in respective businesses. So we could keep the conversation going till, you know, keep, keep the momentum going so that once a deal could be revisited, it was a sort of a natural progression and we didn't have that complete stop. So, you know, we did some virtual wine tasting. Um, we've had, Behind, behind the scenes with designers. We've had our head booker on a call. Any way we can sort of engage, as I said, season ticket members or prospective partners um, in, in a more, more comfortable way. I don't know whether Zoom is comfortable um, by this point a little bit more, but um, doing our best to have those touch points and, and get people engaged, not just be another Zoom event. I know we're all having a little bit of fatigue with it. So um, yeah, it's definitely been a big priority for us and something we'll, we'll continue until we get that little bit of normalcy back. And has the feedback been okay with all that? Because it sounds like you've really gone out of your way to, to try to make the best of a bad situation. So hopefully you're, that's appreciated on some level. Yeah, well, I think when you send when you send people wine for a wine tasting, yeah. always that, get that, that's, a, that's a tried and true solution, right? <laughs> yes, so yeah, it's a easy solution there. So yeah, no, we, we've had some great engagement. We've, we've worked with our alumni too um, and had them on board, which has been fantastic. Uh, Nicole, talk about the arena um, going from Nassau Coliseum, which it, interested to get your perspective on playing there when actually fans were in the stands before the pandemic, uh, to a new building, um, the challenges and the opportunities, not only just for the Islanders, but how the Islanders and their brand now fit into a marketplace that is highly competitive with three hockey teams that most people may not realize who are from the New York area, the Devils, the Rangers, and the Islanders, um, and how that competition plays out and the value of going into a new arena from the Coliseum. So starting with the Coliseum and that experience to what fans will get when they get to um, the new arena in Queen. In, uh, it's not in Queens, it's actually in- is it I think The that, border of Long Island and Queens. Yeah, so Nassau Coliseum, so we had our first game back there when I started um, in the fall of 2018. Um, it was in December and that's probably one of my greatest memories and will be my greatest memories with the team. I think going back and playing there, it was obviously a sellout. Um, it was a really beautiful thing to see. We had the fans all singing the national anthem and it was just incredible. And I think, you know, we all know that Barclays wasn't built for hockey. So being able to go and experience that. I heard everyone talk about it, our partners had talked about it, and it was just incredible to be there and that atmosphere. You know, I, I love live sporting events. That's why I work in this industry. That atmosphere is always electric, but this was next level. It was special. It was, it was incredible. And I think um, coming back was great. I think the best part of UBS is what we're taking what we can from Nassau and trying to integrate it from that perspective. They've, you know, our ownership have worked with sound engineers to work out how do we get that, that level of acoustics? What can we do to make sure it still feels intimate? Um, I did a construction tour 
in December with, with some clients, um, very socially distanced. And we went to the, the construction site and I went right up to the top and there's going to be no bad seat in the building. And you still get that feeling of intimacy, which is incredible. So I think they, they know the challenge of having to sort of get fans on board. There's such great rich history at Nassau Coliseum. But as we look to the future and really solidify this state-of-the-art NHL-ready home, um, it's sort of taking the best parts and then expanding, expanding from there. And then talk about the team, where, how the Islanders, from a partnership marketing standpoint, fit in a very crowded space, carving out a space between the Rangers and the Devils. Yeah, I think I think it's you know. We're targeting, we're targeting some of our partners are similar. We've obviously got some very local Long Island businesses that, that we, we work really well with. They've been very big supporters of the team um, for the past how many years. And so it's working out how we, we sort of target, target businesses, um, targeting companies that are you know, on, that, on that next level and have targeting naming rights and those founding partnerships and still integrating our, our local partners as well. You know, it is, it is a crowded market, but I think the Islanders have a great story. They've got a great history, which a lot of brands are really connecting to um, and really resonate with. And I think with this new opportunity, you know, it's the last building in New York for quite some time. Um, it's a really special opportunity to be a part of it. Um, and really, you know, we target target clients, try and give them that really personalized, um, customized experience, which, um, you know, they might not get elsewhere. So, but still be in that great New York market. So, um, yeah. Hey, Nicole, could, just one more question on the, on the, on the new building. Um, obviously there's been a lot of talk in the industry the last few years about the importance of keeping up technologically when new construction is done. Are you privy to some of the technology um, enhancements and facets that are going to be included in the new building? Uh, yeah, that's, that's less, less of my wheelhouse, but, yeah. you know, as, as we work towards, you know, we're given overviews of what, you know, the specific teams are working on, whether it's, you know, that 5G tech, the, you know, the state of the art LED scoreboards, um, all of that, we're working on um, building our app and making sure we take some of the pain points from the Coliseum and really address them. There was, you know, very long queues for bathrooms and concessions. So how do we address that with making everything cashless? Um, concessions, concession stands, a lot of grab and go, um, things like that. So, and I think in a COVID-19 world as well, that's obviously going to impact um, some of the tech as well to make, make the experiences seamless, but as safe as possible. So that raises an interesting question, Tom, before we get to our last two. What changed? So I'm sure you guys were looking at the arena design, the fan experience before we got to the beginning of March. Mm -hmm. How much changed from March 8th or March 10th to today in terms of we didn't even think about that or were some of these things already in play? So um, I think the biggest thing um, is air filtration. Uh, we're really lucky our arena design team were working with ME engineers and I think it was as early as April they said stop worrying about surfaces it's the air it's air circulation that you have to mm -hmm. focus on we are so lucky to have had that insight um, so we, we're able to sort of work on that state-of-the-art air circulation and filtration um, and we're even working on designating you know different filtrations between suites and locker rooms and it's not all the same 
because obviously that virus is airborne. So the fact that we had such great insights so early, we were able to really pivot. Um, I know that, you know, we're, on a local level, we're going to be having, you know, the UV technology and, and surface dis disinfectant. But I think the fact that we could pivot so quickly with that insight um, was fantastic. And I think uh, as well with touchless and cashless, that's a huge thing. It was definitely in consideration, but obviously became top, top priority. So um, similarly with concessions, uh, again, we were moving towards a grab and grow sort of model uh, from research showing that fans, you know, just want to get in have that seamless experience, be able to move quickly uh, so they can get to their seats. Again, it became more of a priority. So um, I think it's very unique that we were able to pivot and really lucky that um, we still had the time to be able to implement probably more comprehensive solutions than if we were just modifying an older arena. Great. Joe, I would say that I, for one, as a fan, as someone who attends events, hopes that uh, what Nicole just talked about actually becomes reality and that these simple old world analog problems of long lines for bathrooms, long lines for concessions, horrible experiences in parking lots, nothing to do with technology, all three, or except maybe e-commerce, because uh, cashless will be probably the new norm. But it feels like once and for all, we got to solve that problem. The last time I went to Yankee Stadium, which I think was two summers ago, I can't even, I can't, I was, we were all so frustrated with the lines just to get a beer or a pretzel. It was crazy, 10, 15 minutes of waiting. And you're looking around at this somewhat, uh, at that point, somewhat state-of-the-art baseball stadium. It's like, this is kind of insane that we mm -hmm. still have to go through these experiences. So I'm hoping that, everybody understands that and finally does what's necessary in terms of these new builds to fix that problem. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we heard, for those who didn't listen to the last, the first podcast of 2020, Bill Squires talked about some of the things. A lot of it, frankly, is going to be tied to our friends like T-Mobile and Verizon and 5G because you're going to be getting things on your phone. You know, I've heard stories about there'll be small separate screens where you can say the closest, it's like a speed, you know, anybody who's ever been to Disney, you know, it's going to make, you know, um, all the speed lines at Disney or easy pass look like something from the 1930s because you need that now. And when you think about the unbelievable, beautiful bathroom experience at the Nassau Coliseum, I'm sure we'll have probably changed by the time you get to the new, uh, new arena, you know, and um, even like, I forget where I was, I was walk. Oh, I know what it was. I was actually I walked through a mall, the Palisade Center Mall, right before the holidays, just to see what it was like. And there was actually a water fountain. And I'm like, no one will ever drink from a water fountain again. Now you may put your bottle in there and fill up your bottle, but the the fact of when you think about someone like like my eight year old nieces, ten years from now, looking at a water fountain and say you put your mouth on that thing. That's what you did. I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like? But I think it's all for the better. I mean, I'm very optimistic about where we're going to go. And it really is amazing, Nicole, that you guys will be opening an arena in the fall of 2021, knock on wood with people, a lot of people in the building safely with air, with proper sound. Um, and probably from an indoor arena, I don't know, is there another arena on pace to open around you? I know, obviously the, the stadia, in both Vegas and Los Angeles didn't have any people this year. So no one will have experienced that, but they'll do that before you. But is there another in, in, uh, inside venue that is opening before you guys at this point? I guess Seattle would be the only other Seattle. one. Right? Uh, yeah, Seattle's the other one. Right. Well, 
Yeah. Anyway, so right. time to wrap us up here. Yeah. So, uh, so Nicole, we like to ask everybody that we have on the show uh, two. You know, we should questions. do Tom? Since what? Nicole's listened, why doesn't she tell us what the questions are? And no, I'm just kidding. All right, let's Go see ahead. how much she's been paying attention. How do I stay informed? <laughs> yes, that's the first one. Uh, you have a lot of responsibility in this job. Um, what, what, what do you use to, to keep up with everything and stay smart uh, for your professional duties? Yep, I, I, love, um, I love my newsletters to my inbox. Um, I'm always reliant on front office sports SPJ, especially the SPJ unpacks. So I was loving that last year. I really love the gist. Um, I love that that obviously got developed um, for the sort of the female sports fans. So I discovered that more, more recently, but yeah, really loving that. So I think starting the day with caffeine uh, and trying to have that routine start to the day and check out some newsletters, that's, that's been a big one. Um, and then SPJ podcast, as well as you guys. Good, there we go. Thanks. And um, advice, you touched a little bit on your advice, um, especially now I would think not only just students, but I'm sure you've seen a lot of both your classmates, other people in the industry who've lost jobs on the sales and marketing side. Uh, for someone who's had the benefit of coming into a job and then growing in a job in a very unique environment, what, what's some of the advice that you pass on to people? Um, so I've had a lot, of, a lot of students reach out and sort of wanna have discussions about this actually. And so I think it's just been uh, to keep building the network as best as they can. And I know that's uh, a very difficult thing to do in, in a COVID-19 world. So it's very much encouraging them to reach out. And I think find that point of differentiation. I think it's, you know, I get a lot of LinkedIn requests and I try and my best to answer as most as possible. But when someone's engaged and they ask you an interesting question straight off the bat, it makes you excited to talk to them and it's to really build that rapport. So I think building that base is essential right now. And if it's not a job in sports, think about, think about the future as well. The, you know, sports live events, it's coming back. We're all very excited for that. So how can you skill up and how can you maybe find a job that will provide you a skill and allow you to transition? Because when jobs are opening, you know, you, you want a little bit more than just that interest in sports. You want to be able to bring a skill and bring some value. So it's just network and see how well you can utilize your time right now. If it's not the dream job just yet, how can you plan to get there? Cool. That's, um, that's a really I, good piece of advice. I just want to pick up on that one point you made about the outreach on LinkedIn and asking, you, you mentioned that just even the simple act of asking a good question makes a difference. And uh, Joe and I have talked about this before, but one of my pet peeves is when people reach out and they don't choose the option, add a note and yeah. explain why they're reaching out or what they hope to uh, uh, accomplish by being connected. It's so lazy. Um, if it's someone I don't know, it's an automatic disqualification in my book. Um, but I'm glad you reminded everybody about particularly younger people. You can't just send around random LinkedIn invitations. Not a good move. At least take 30 seconds to, even if it's just, hey, uh, we, we, you know, I'm, I'm in the Columbia program. Uh, I'd love to meet you someday. Fine, whatever. Just, just show a little bit of effort. Right, Joe? Am I right there? Hey, um, Nicole, before we let you go and you, you tell us how people can find you, one question I wanted to ask at the beginning and I forgot is, how big is the network Australians in the NHL? Is it a network of one or aren't there a couple of others too? 
Um, it's funny. At my first, um, my first and only uh, NHL All Star, my I met my colleague at the Kings working for AEG, um, Steph. Uh, she's a fellow Aussie, and we met, connected, and we stay in touch. Um, I think weekly now, um, which is fantastic. So I didn't think I'd find another one. So uh, Steph's been a really great friend, um, both professionally and personally now, which is great. Cool. And uh, how do people find you? Best way. Um, LinkedIn with a great question. <laughs> LinkedIn, I, I, I do love LinkedIn. Um, so always on LinkedIn. It's definitely the best way. Nicole Hogan. Um, yeah, definitely. Excellent. Cool. Great. Wow, Nicole, that was terrific. So congrats on your success with the Islanders. Um, good Thanks. luck with the opening of the stadium in September. And I, and I Joe, I want to remind the, the, the three of us that Nicole was gracious in inviting us to a game about a year and a half ago, I think you went, but I did not. No, I never went. Oh, you never made it. Okay. I don't remember why, but the funny thing was like, ah, and I remember Nicole sent me email. She goes, well, you can come anytime. Well, guess right. what? I don't, th I, I, I would hope that there's an opportunity for some fans to go back to the Coliseum before they leave. Who knows if that will happen? Who knows? Who knows if maybe there's somewhere down the line where they actually will play. The Islanders may play an exhibition game or two at the Coliseum just to bring the fans back one more time. But it's one of those things when I look back over, you know, Tom, you and I, the last time we were together was at MIT Sloan. Mm -hmm. And I remember going down the escalator, we were all leaving at the same time. Um, who knew that, you know, that was going to be the point. I actually, um, just to kind of wrap everything up, I started to ask people if they can remember the last movie they went to or live event they went to. And there yeah. have been people obviously who've gone, but it's really taxing to figure out, you know, the last thing that you did and where you went. But yeah, I, I'm sorry that we didn't get to go. I'm really hoping I get back to go to the Coliseum at least one more time. I don't know. I, I would prefer, I'll pass on the invitation to the old Coliseum and I'll wait for the, for the new stadium because my last memory of Nassau Coliseum was I think seeing the Grateful Dead there in like 1980s or something like that. The smoke is still in the rafters. Having grown up on Long Island, I've been there a few times. We'll have a really fun night. Yeah. Uh, we'll do a good VIP night. I, I, I dream about the days where we can all get together at a live event. So, uh, so cheer, cheers to that, Nicole. And um, hopefully we'll see you at that uh, arena this fall. Uh, but thanks again on behalf of the program. We really appreciate it. And again, we wish you well. Have a great 2021 season. So great to see you both. So can't wait to see you again soon. Cool. So once again, uh, on behalf of Nicole Hogan, Taylor DiBernardo, our steadfast engineer, person of all, all tools right now for us, sitting there watching us with the Nordiques hat on. I'm Joe Favorito for my, uh, my uh, teammate here, Tom Richardson. You've been listening to The Cusp Show, and we'll see you down the road.